start this morning. Do you pass the test? Do you pass the, the wait test? How well do you wait? Are you good at waiting? I want you to imagine a chaotic morning. You forgot to eat your bowl of Rice Krispies. You're in the car. You realize if I don't get some breakfast, I'm going to be in trouble. And so you find yourself going to your, your favorite fast food restaurant, just wanting some breakfast. And as you dive in, you see that there's a 17-car line in the drive-thru. Do you wait well? Or maybe you've went to the doctor's office and they say you need to have a test and you go and you take the test and you're wanting to know right away and they say it's going to be 10 days, maybe two weeks until the test results come back. Do you wait well? Do you pass the test? The wait test. I believe waiting in America is especially difficult in 2012. I've been on many a mission trip. I've been at places in the Dominican Republic where we thought church was going to start at 10. We showed up at 9.30. Church didn't start till 10.45. And church didn't go for an hour. It didn't go for 90 minutes. It went two and a half, three hours long. And the only people that were bothered by that were myself and other Americans. They passed the weight test. We, we struggle with the weight test. I have a fact that I want to share with you this morning. Christmas is all about waiting. Christmas is all about waiting. I want to do two things this morning. I want to share with you two big ideas all tied into this concept of waiting. And big idea number one is this. As the birth of Jesus Christ began to unfold, God's people knew all about waiting. As we get to the gospel accounts, as we get to uh, the birth of Jesus, God's people were not new to the test of waiting. Let's just do a survey of history this morning. It all starts back in Genesis chapter 12. God promised to Abram, I'm going to make you a nation and a land and a blessing, an unconditional covenant promise. And the only problem with that unconditional covenant promise to Abram, who would become Abraham, is he was childless at the time. Childless Abram had no children. And yet God said, I'm going to make you a nation and a land and a blessing. And this covenant promise brought waiting. Look at Genesis 12, 1 through 3. We'll put the scripture up on the screen. See if you can hear the promise of God to Abram. He says, the Lord said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your household, and go to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. And it began. I'm going to make you a nation, a land, and a blessing. And God's people began to wait. Well, from Abraham came Isaac. From Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. From Jacob, 12 sons. And before long, Joseph... The fair-haired boy, the favorite son, is beat up and sold into slavery. And through a crazy series of events, not coincidences, but the providence of God, Joseph finds himself in Egypt, a nation prepared to deal with the drought that has taken on the world. And before long, God's people journey to Egypt. They journey to what they think is going to be a much better place. And for a while, it's great. But before long, God's people are no longer in community with the Egyptians. They find themselves in slavery instead. And Israel being held captive in Egypt enhances the waiting. 
Israel held captive in Egypt brings even more waiting. And God's people cry out, we have no hope. God's people cry out, this isn't what we signed up for. God's people cry out, we need a Savior, we need a Messiah. And they're waiting. And then Moses comes along. Moses will become one of the three greatest heroes of the faith in the Old Testament, according to many scholars. And they wonder, is he the ultimate one? And he's not the ultimate one, but he does lead them out of slavery. He leaves them away from the Pharaoh and the Egyptians, and they find themselves in the wilderness. And they're wandering, not for 40 days, not for 40 months. They're wandering, you know, for 40 years. And they're wandering in the wilderness, continues the waiting. When will hope be realized? When will the Savior come? When will this life of tent camping be no more? They're waiting. Will they eventually get into the promised land? We learn about that in the book of Joshua. And before long, the nation begins to be established. They're they're a nation, and they now have a land. But they want to be like everybody else. They want to be like all the other kingdoms of the earth that have kings. They don't have a king. So they cry out to the Lord, Lord, give us a king. And the Lord says, you have no idea what you're asking him for. And they say, yes, we do. We want a king. And he finally gives in. He finally relents. He gives them a king. And the first king, that didn't work out so well with Saul. But the second king, now we're really on to something. You know who the second king of Israel was? David. Another one of the great heroes of the faith. And they wonder, is he the one? Is he the Savior? Is he the Messiah? Is he the hope? But before long, David, the man after God's own heart, becomes overtaken by lust, and that turns into adultery, and the next thing you know, there's deception and murder. And that's just the beginning. This great nation, God's people, experiences division, northern kingdom versus southern kingdom, Israel versus Judah, and the division leads to more, you you guessed it, more waiting. And during this waiting, things go from not very good to bad to really bad to awful to, oh my goodness, here come the Assyrians. And during that time, God's people cry out, help us. And so the prophets respond, and the prophets attest to the hope that's just around the corner. Isaiah, in chapter 7, verse 14, says, Therefore the Lord Himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child. He'll give birth to a son, and will call Him Emmanuel. What's Emmanuel mean? God with us. That sounds a lot like Christmas, doesn't it? Isaiah shares this prophecy 700 years before that special night in Bethlehem during a dark, dark time in the history of God's people. In Isaiah 9, the prophecies continue. Isaiah says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be... What's that say? Next slide. No end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom. He'll establish justice, upholding it with righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty 
will accomplish this. When Isaiah shared that prophecy, do you wonder if God's people said, give me a break, Isaiah, what are you talking about? Have you seen the Assyrians? Do you understand the oppression we're we're going through? We're waiting, we're hoping, we're yearning, we're longing, but all we see are armies. All we see is oppression. All we see are kings who do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And Isaiah's message, just wait. Just wait. I asked Jim to kind of cater the service a little differently today, and I appreciate him doing that. And and we sang the, the hymn, the Christmas hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. I believe it summarizes 2,000 years of waiting. Listen to the words of verse 1. We'll put it up on the screen. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, God with us, shall come to thee, O Israel. Verse 4. O come, desire of nations, bind all peoples in one heart and mind. Bid envy, strife, and quarrel cease. Fill the whole world with heaven's peace. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, God with us, shall come to thee, O Israel. If you were to summarize what happened from the time that Abram received that promise from God in Genesis 12, nation, land, blessing, to the time of Jesus, I would call it the great wait. And then it happened. Everything changed. The great wait ended. The great wait was finally over when Jesus Christ was born in a manger in Bethlehem on that beautiful night over 2,000 years ago. The great wait was over. Um, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but when I started preaching, we had students walking through the sanctuary, and hopefully you were handed a cup that has a marshmallow in it. Um, I want to tell you the story this morning of the marshmallow test. And this is a true story. In the 1970s, a group of researchers at Stanford University engaged in what became known as the marshmallow test on a couple hundred four-year-olds. And what they did is they would, they would interview these four-year-olds one at a time, and they'd bring them into the room, just one researcher and one four-year-old, and they would ask them a series of questions, and as they asked them the questions, if they got the answer right, the researcher would pull out a marshmallow and give them a marshmallow, and they could eat their marshmallow. But the real test began... When during the middle of the interview, a knock would come at the door and the researcher would get up and excuse himself for just a moment and he'd come back and he would say, "Um, I have an errand that I have to run immediately. So I'm going to leave the room for 5 or 10 or 15 minutes. And I'm going to leave this marshmallow right here. Now if you don't eat that marshmallow while I am gone, when I return, you're going to get two marshmallows. But if you eat the marshmallow while I am gone, you only get the single marshmallow. And the researchers were were looking from a, a double mirror as the activity engaged, and they write what happened next was absolutely fascinating. Thomas Paine once wrote, these are the times that try men's souls. And the marshmallow test is the ultimate soul test for any four-year-old because it demonstrates the eternal battle between impulse 
and restraint, between desire and control, between gratification and delay. The researchers wrote that these four-year-olds would come up with all kinds of strategies to enable themselves to wait. They would sing songs. They would make up stories aloud. They would sit on their hands. They said one even guy, one guy, little guy, even licked the table around the marshmallow, thinking that perhaps the flavor had somehow transferred into the wood. Now that's a cute illustration, but the illustration's not over because what happened was the test was not just a, a singular event over a couple of days. These researchers actually studied these children all the way into adolescence and into early adulthood. And their conclusions were really remarkable. They found that those that were able to wait as four-year-olds grew up to be more socially competent, better able to cope with stress, and less likely to give up under pressure than those who could not wait. The marshmallow grabbers, they are the ones that couldn't wait, they wrote, grew up much more stubborn and indecisive, more easily upset by frustration, and more resentful about not getting enough. The marshmallow waiters had SAT scores that averaged 210 points higher than the marshmallow grabbers. And years later, the researchers would write that the marshmallow grabbers still couldn't delay gratification. Their poor impulse control was much more likely to lead to delinquency, substance abuse, and relationship disconnect. See, our inability to control our impulses, our refusal to wait and to trust, really lies close to the core of sinful, uh, human sinfulness. And it's been that way since Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve first took that bite from the forbidden marshmallow in the Garden of Eden. So how are you at waiting? And what do you find yourself waiting for this morning? How good are you at waiting in traffic? How good are you at waiting in line at Walmart or IGA or Save-A-Lot? How good are you at waiting for your child to come home for the holidays from college? How good will you be at waiting for them to go back to college after the holidays? Maybe you're waiting for the test results to come back. Maybe you're waiting for the prodigal in your life to come home to you and to come home to the Lord. Maybe you're single and you're waiting for the marshmallow of marriage. Maybe you're married and you want kids or you want more kids and you're waiting for a child or another child. Maybe your health isn't good, and you're waiting for healing. I really believe that the ability to wait well is a spiritual discipline that many of us fail miserably at. And so big idea number two this morning is this, learning to wait well is a crucial spiritual life discipline. It's crucial that we learn to wait well. See, waiting's never been easy. It wasn't easy for the giants of the faith that we studied in Scripture, and it's not easy for modern-day Christ followers, but we are called to be able to wait well. And I, I have two challenges for you this morning that I want to leave you with. Number one is this. We learn to wait well when we hold to the hope 
of Jesus Christ. That's number one. We learn to wait well, holding to the hope of Jesus Christ. Listen to Romans 8, verse 24. The Apostle Paul says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? And maybe you can't see what you want. Maybe you're going through this thing we call life and you can't figure it all out right now. Cling to the hope of Jesus Christ. You know how Paul ends Romans chapter 8? I love verses 38 and 39. He says, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, angels nor demons, the present, the future, or any powers, neither height or depth or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And I say to you this morning, if you're 7 or 17 or you're 77, that thing that you're waiting for, that desire of your heart that you think will fix everything else if it just was realized, if it just came true, if it just became reality, understand there's a greater hope, Jesus Christ. Hope in Jesus Christ is our ultimate, ultimate lesson in waiting well. But there's a second challenge this morning, and here it is. We learn to wait well by looking ahead to our ultimate salvation. We talked last week during Ask the Pastor about healing. Do we believe in healing? Do we think God heals and God, God does heal? I believe that without a doubt. I think I said something kind of crass. I went back and listened this week. Healing is no big deal. When God does a miracle, it's an enormous deal. Understand that. But what I want you to understand is this world is not your home if you're a Christ follower. And this world can really stink. This world can be really difficult. Some of you, 2012, it's been a train wreck. It's been awful. It's been difficult. And so I challenge you to engage in the exercise of waiting well by looking ahead to how the story ends. Looking ahead to the hope that Christ followers will enjoy. The Apostle Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter chapter 1. He says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us new birth. What a great term to consider at Christmas time. He's given us great mercy in a new birth, into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In our Sunday school class today, we were pondering Hebrews chapter 8, and we were pondering our wonderful choir special and the concept of what peace really looks like. This morning as I was getting ready, as I was putting on my soup and sip, suit and sipping on a cup of coffee, I had CNN on. And the headline came on about the disaster that is the nation of Syria right now. And 42,000 lives that have been lost. And they just started panning shots through the crowd. And you could just see the despair in the eyes of just the common people. Mothers holding children saying, 
when's this going to end? How much more can we take? And I know for some of us in America, we live in the, on the great, in the greatest country on the face of the earth. And it doesn't seem that great in our little world right now. And we're wondering how much more can we take? My bottom line for you this morning is this, my friends. Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. It's the story of Christmas. Learn to wait on the Lord. Well, I told you the marshmallow story, and I gave you a marshmallow. And I want to let you know, you are free to do whatever you want with this marshmallow. If you want to munch down your marshmallow right now, you have permission to do that. But if you find yourself struggling with this game we call waiting, if you say, Greg, that's a nice homily and all, but boy, I'm having a hard time waiting. Maybe, just maybe, you want to take this marshmallow with you. You can take the cup as well. And maybe that can be a reminder to you that it's okay to wait, to wait on the Lord, that the Lord has a plan for your life. I'm going to do something I don't think I've ever done in a sermon at First Christian Church. I'm going to quote the King James Version, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, as we conclude. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Wait on the Lord. It's the story of Christmas. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. And I'm really bad at waiting. And many of us are really bad at waiting. We want to eat the marshmallow right now. We want the instant gratification. We want diseases to go away. We want prodigals to come home. We want jobs to be reality. We want kids to figure out how to live their life effectively. We don't want to wait. And yet we realize that because of Jesus Christ, your son, this life's just the beginning. And the wait will all be worth it. Thank you so much for a new birth, for a living hope, for an eternal inheritance that laughs at problems like jobs and kids and disease and despair because the hope that will be realized is so much greater than we can even imagine. Thank you for Jesus Christ, the difference he makes in our lives. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Every Sunday we conclude our service with a a song of commitment. We call it an invitation. And if Jesus Christ is not your Lord and your Savior, you're invited to end the wait today. Stand with me, please, as Jim and the team leads us.
may be seated. I would like to have Marsha Wise, wherever she is. Where's, oh, there she is. Marsha's going to come up and briefly tell us about the grab-and-go. It's 13 days away. Yes, on uh, December 15th, we're going to be having our fifth um, grab-and-go that we've had in four years. I've taken over the leadership from Cody Muckman because he's busy with school and with youth ministry down in Mount Zion. Um, we've had the flyers in the bulletin the last three, I guess today, so three weeks, and we've gotten a few. Usually this takes us about 100 people to pull this whole thing off, and it, it seems like it would be fairly easy, but we end up, if you can imagine, if you've not been here helping with the grab-and-go before, we use the hallways, the different rooms. We set up stuff in all different rooms. Even in the family, in the uh, fellowship hall, the tables will be filled halfway to the ceiling with clothes. And so we need all the help we can get throughout the week, starting next Sunday. Um, Sunday is when people can start bringing their donations to the church. So clean out your house with your good stuff that you can help others. And I just want to say real quick that not only is this helping the community in need in Clinton, but it even reaches beyond Clinton. And it's a great time of year because people, you know, when, when you're strapped and it's a hard time, you know, it's a way for you to to help your family, your children, but it's a way for you to find stuff that you can give to others because people, people want to help and share in the giving season. And so this is our way to outreach and to help the community at large to do this. Um, next Sunday between 3 and 4, you can start bringing your stuff to the church and we'll start sorting through it. On Throughout the whole next week, from the 10th through the 14th, we sort all the stuff into the different rooms from 1 to 3 each day, and from 6 to 9 at night. Unfortunately, all of our committee works during the day, so we're only here during the night, so we really need your help even during the day. And it really it takes all of us working together to pull this off. So if you haven't yet filled out anything, um, please think real hard in your heart about what, where you can help us, even if it's as needed. We'll be calling people this week who have already volunteered. Um, I have names of people who helped in the past, so when I start running short, um, I'll start calling people and drafting if I can. Um, so we just appreciate your help and also just covet your prayers over this as well. Give Marsha a hand. I appreciate her so much. <laughs> Grab and Go is a great event, really makes an impact in our community and brings glory to God. At this time, I would like Mark Woodsty, chairman of our elders, to come forward, and he is going to uh, commence the semi-annual congregational meeting. There you go. Well, it's time. Is this on? It's time for our semi-annual meeting. Uh, this primary focus of this one is to do two things. One is to review the uh, meeting minutes from the June uh, meeting, and also uh, give an opportunity to have a congregational vote on the ministry action plan, our budget for 2013. Um, I'll begin with the uh, reading of the minutes, uh, the highlights of the minutes from the June meeting. Uh, I talked about four key things. One was our youth programs. Uh, we talked a lot about sort of the progress that was being made uh, across those fronts. Uh, we sh showed a video uh, of Reveal and some of the other activities. Talked a little bit about finance and the realities of the fact that the mortgage had been paid off uh, over two years early, uh, thanks to the faithfulness of, of God and the congregation here at FCC. Also addressed the fact that we had changed insurance companies. Brotherhood Mutual is our new group, and uh, they do specialize in churches. Uh, they're requiring some criminal background checks, a lot of different things that are going on with the children's ministry, 
and some of the facility changes downstairs to accommodate that is all a part of uh, those changes. We also talked a little bit about building and grounds facility master plan that's been developed by the leadership uh, to be able to begin to make remodeling uh, activities uh, downstairs and other parts of the facility that haven't been touched in 50 plus years in some cases. So um, those were the gist of the congregational minutes from the June meeting. Additionally, onto the map process, uh, you guys are getting ballots uh, to be able to vote on that. A little quick history on the map. Uh, that process begins back in August, and all the various ministry team leads gather up their information, project out spending plans for 2019-2020, uh, 